0: You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey people, how you doing? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, uh, being recorded as always live on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. We are going out on a Wednesday tonight. Um, but normally it's on a Tuesday at eight o'clock and if you're listening to the podcast and you like the idea of joining us live that's all you've got to do. We've done it for 150 weeks in a row so we're not going anywhere just head along to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel at eight o'clock normally on a Tuesday Um, and it's a great idea to join us live if you can because you get to network and hang out with other soft tissue therapists um, who are filling our lounge up as we speak. So uh, hello there to Penny from Soma Sports Massage Therapy. Good to see you. Glenn Murphy is here as well. Hi, Glenn. And uh, Nikki Mansfield is in here. All the regulars are here. Um, Nikki says, hello, my fine, fine fellow people squeezers. On this fine, fine day, Nikki's still uh, yeah, on cloud nine, having opened up her new premises and started hosting courses. So good to see you, Nikki. Good to see that medication still working. Uh, Penny's here as well. Yeah, fantastic. So people are coming in. So you've always got that option. If you like what we're talking about, and you want to join us live and ask questions to the guests directly. So uh, this month, we have been focusing on the abdomen and the groin. Just a little recap in case you have jumped in at episode 115, you missed out the other ones. In part one at the beginning of the month, my guest was Dr. Sarah Rollins, who gave us a fantastic breakdown of the anatomy of the anterior abdominal wall, as well as a look at the cause of hernias, uh, diastasis recti, and a lot more. And that is on YouTube and also on all popular podcast apps. If you'd like to catch up with part one of this month's focus, Part two last week, I spoke with Dr. Dora Papadopoulou, who looked at the anatomy of the groin, looked at different diagnoses and also a selection of surgical procedures uh, that can be used when conservative measures are not getting results. And tonight in part three, waiting patiently in the lobby, uh, we will be shortly chatting with special guest Benoy Matthew of Function to Fitness about treatment for groin injuries. Really looking forward to this one. And there was a lot of theory last week Um, And this week is going to be lots of practical stuff which soft tissue tissue therapists can take away with you and hopefully start using in the clinic um, tomorrow morning. Uh, Next week, and I'll announce it again at the end of the podcast to to, uh, end this focus on abdomen and groin. My special guest will be Jenny Burrell, Burrell Education, who will be taking uh, an in-depth look at diastasis recti, uh, also known as abdominal separation. So that will be Jenny Burrell next week. There we go. It's been a great month so far tonight. It's not going to be any exception. As always, if you've got questions, feel free to put them uh, into the chat and I will bring them up on the screen. Uh, but as I say, tonight, we're going to be chatting to special guest Benoy Matthew. A lot of you probably are familiar with Benoy because of his extremely popular Function to fitness lower limb courses. He's a MSK extended scope practitioner in the NHS and also private practice with a special interest in treating complex lower limb pathologies, including chronic hip and groin patients. Definitely recommend that you follow Benoy, and we'll give out some links at the end of the show on social media. A lot of fantastic information out there. But as far as the next hour goes, you haven't got to go there. You can stay with us and listen as I bring up my guest for tonight's episode, Benoy Matthew. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, Evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey
1: Ben, how are you doing? Hi Matt, thanks uh, for having me. Um, and it seems to be working all well with all the IT stuff, which is always a good place to start, isn't it? This is good. Isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Everything yeah. is working. Yeah. Nothing's going to stress us out at least yeah. here for an hour.
0: And we're double pleased because you were you were originally booked in to come in January, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. The bugs got hold of yeah, yeah, you and
1: family, a... yeah. So, so um... you are well now are you yeah, yeah good all good and um it's still you know it's a lovely day as well you know it's sort of uh um still a bit of sunshine it is it just had a little bit of a short run so it's good to you know get yeah to get that sort of endorphins you know feel good factors oh I we all it. need that you know we all need. yeah yeah yeah, no yeah. Doubt. I, that's why i had to
0: rush off a glass of water i went for <laughs> a run today and just a bit more dehydrating and
1: yeah 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 i'm just playing around with Show rotation, you know, which is a bit of a show geek. We can have a chat later on that, you know, trying off different um, types of, uh, you know, I was just recently more from soccer and they're just going more into the hooker range, you know. So, I'm trying out few oh, so, really, so yeah, okay. so it's quite a few of uh things. Is that an age thing? Is that uh, yeah, 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 I mean, it's that, hurting a bit you but more, a more, party, more. Party generation. I just saw more excuses to buy more shoes, uh, you know. Uh, uh. My partner is complaining that we've got enough shoes, but I feel like I could have more, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we could chat yeah. about that definitely later.
0: Yeah. Right. Fantastic. So last week, um, Dora um, was very excited and she thought it was a wonderful flow. Because last week she was talking a lot about the anatomy. She was talking a lot about the diagnosis and talking about a lot of the work that she's doing to try and simplify and improve diagnosis on a European, international level. Because there's a lot of misconception out there and a lot of error maybe that is caused by people diagnosing differently and using different Mm. terminology. But she was very excited to leave treatment to you. Like benoy will be able to look after that benoy will be excellent mm-hmm. so um she really big drop basically yeah thanks you you've i mean tell us a little bit for people who haven't heard of you which i'm hoping some of our listeners haven't yeah and um, what got you into particularly interested in working with early pathologies? and yeah i think
1: yeah. when i first started within the there was in hammersmith like when i started with my score, scope there was um We've, we've seen quite a few, uh, I was treating um, quite a few runners at this time as, you know, one of my areas of interest is in running and uh, we are seeing, uh, one of the things which made me really interested was, uh, I've seen like a couple of female runners who had this sort of niggling groin pain and, um, you know, they're treated with appropriate rehab and soft tissue work but they're not getting better and when I scan them then they came up with like a bone stress injuries and it was quite shocking for me because externally there's nothing obvious uh, it came like a bit of erectile an niggle, and so the one thing which sort of started me was the mismatch between how it presents and what actual problem is. So it can be quite subtle in many patients, and then uh, they get really worse. And then you scan them, you have a fracture or a bone stress injury. And um, and other area was the distinct difference between men, men and men and women. So um, so I was treating a lot of men with erectile uh, pain, but in women they have their own unique. It's one of the areas of the body where you have clear difference between men and women with pathologies, you know. So, and I found that was quite, whereas uh, a simple, like the knee or, um, you know, other joints, they're fairly straightforward. So I find that sort of challenge. And uh, and when I showed interest, you know, my colleagues start dumping me all those cases and they said, I want to get in. And that is the best way to learn, you know, you just put your hands out. So this was more towards the 2010, 2012. And um, and then I went into conferences did stuff and I got really in, involved. One of my friends had a hip impingement, So I rehabbed him. So um, there's hardly anything at that stage, you know, so uh, it came as a curiosity for me. And then um, there's still, I'm learning on that. So it's definitely an area where we need more therapists to get involved because, um, you know, we have, we have excellent therapists for, for example, shoulders and backs and knees, but the hip and growing. Generally, a lot of people are put off with it, um, which doesn't have to be the case, you know? So there's a, we can uh, really make a big difference and this is has a big effect on patients you know like when you have like a chronic groin pathology like you can't sit you can't get out of the car even like intimate relationship with your partners playing with your kids it's really and you you might be just like 27 28 um so it has a big physical and psychological impact on people Uh, and it's such an awkward area isn't it like you know it's pretty much next to your genital region and Uh, you know uh, it can be uh, very comfortable so I think making a difference in these people you know uh, can be a real um, uh, life you know changing uh, experience for many of those so that's one of the regions because the constant achiness around the groin uh, really drives people nuts. A lot of patients tell me that sort of you know makes them um, really um, you know having that issues as well so uh, that sort of uh, personal impact made me think like I need to really get in there and that's what got me into education and try to simplify the area as well because a lot of things which we see in complex elite sports doesn't happen in for example a typical case is sports hernia but you don't really see that in a normal clinic really so sometimes people get excited with all these complex things but they are not what you see so um, sometimes we have to stay grounded on what is more common and what's more applicable in our day-to-day clinical practice. That's quite interesting as you were talking a bit
0: off air about that sports hernia mm. is something where finally sports therapists and sports massage therapists and sports rehab therapists go eh, finally something which has got our name in their name and they're yeah. going to come and see us because yeah. they think we only deal with sports people yeah but even that's a good example where it's a, a misnomer isn't it where the name is given out mm-hmm. where it shouldn't be used
1: yeah can you go a little bit into that yeah so i think one of the things to look into when somebody comes with a groin pain is to make sure that they don't have hernia but the hernia is from my experience, GP are quite hot on it because they're quite a lot of drill on the medical school to pick up this. So if you have a true bulge, like when they cough, they have a bulge and they feel like a swelling, um, most, you know, majority of the time, the GP will send for an, um, a simple, you know, like ultrasound and they'll pick up. There are two types of common hernias. One is called a femoral hernia and inguinal hernia. And the GPs will generally, you know, immediately take action, uh, refer to the, um, you know, general surgeon. So those patients, you don't really see them because they've been picked up. But having said that, I picked a few, especially post-COVID, where, uh, I'll give you two examples. One was a guy who was working in a very sedentary, um, you know, normal sort of uh, sitting job and then he went to, he lost his job, went to work in Amazon, a lot of lifting and then a lot of straining and then he felt, you know, a bit of a groin ache and he came to me and then typical signs, like when he coughs and sneeze, a bit of a bulge and I said, this is, uh, I think you have to go to your GP and did an ultrasound, picked it up. So, and the other one is where where people have sudden spike and you know, heavy weight training in the gym. So one was a guy who was really ramping up a deadlift, a lot of deadlift stuff. And then he felt a bit of a bulge. And they, they don't have a traumatic onset. It doesn't come like in one day. It's more like an ache and then th- when they cough and sneeze. So typical would be when they cough and sneeze, they might feel a bit of a bulge sensation. They will not ha- have any pain at resting and at night. Um, so there's no pain when they don't know nothing. It's only when they strain, when they do ab work and things like that. So if a patient comes in with those symptoms, so um, quite, you know, uh, straightforward diagnosis, uh, refer to your uh, general practitioner, and they usually take care of well. Um, Other thing to uh, remember when you deal with that area is uh, because it's got close proximity to the, you know, genital regions, so it's always a good idea to screen. So if if a male patient comes to my clinic with... um, uh, groin pain there are a few things i'll ask so i'll ask have you noticed any swelling you know uh, around the gen- around the testicle region any pain around your perineal or penile region any change in your uh, bladder and ball function um and any pain during you know sexual activities and and you know men as we know i can you know vouch for that they're very poor historians and they don't really tell you unless you dig them and you might be the first person to pick this up and then uh, we don't have to scare them. We just have to escalate and say, maybe you need to see your, um, you know. So um, so this was like uh, one triathlete I treated uh, who came with the coronary adductor pain. And I asked him the same question. And he said, yes, there's a bit of swelling around my testicular region. I said, I think you should seek your GP straight away. And uh, unfortunately, he had like a bit of um, quite, you know, testicular cancer. But it was in early stages. And it was, uh, so you could be the first person to pick this up because, And asked him, "You had it for seven months. Why you didn't do anything about it?" And he said, "I thought it'll just go away. away." But you know, sometimes uh, people come with weird answers. So uh, around the so this sort of things for me, those are really important to pick up those sort of uh, red flags. So any growth around testicle regions, uh, any issues with their urination or um, numbness around the genital regions, you know. So that's for the men. So the women, uh, it's also equally important to ask about." Um, pain during sex, uh, any bloating sensation because uh, you know women's pelvis you know they, because they have they are more like you know they, they might have conditions like endometriosis, polycystic ovary disease and things like that We don't have to make any diagnosis there. We're just saying like if they have pain during sex and the pain changes during periods, then um, seek um, help with the physio who does uh, male you know, uh, women's health physio or the GP. So for me, that is a really priority on day one is making sure that I'm not missing those non-MSK conditions, which um, can be you know, managed quite well if they're with the right person, because that's not really my area of expertise. So, uh, so one of the things I've picked up in the last three, four years working in hip and groin, I work very closely with a lot of physios and other therapists who work with women's health and men's health, because many of those patients need both. So I can manage the hip, and the adductors region, but somebody else will work on the pelvic floor and things like that. So you need to have that relationship with uh, other professionals because you do have that sort of close relationship between the pelvis and the hip. You can't separate it, you know, the pelvic floor and the hip muscles as well. So, so it's coming- really good to
0: hear. I mean, that's, sorry Trump, That's really good to hear because we've, we've heard that message so many times. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to soft tissue therapists, particularly sports massage therapists, sports therapists, they may well be, I'm talking to you guys listening to the podcast now, you may well be the first person who this person comes to, um, because they probably willing it in their mind. I was just, I
1: need a massage or something. I just want to get away. Oh, I just got a tight adductors, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm.
0: So if, if, if again, if you're asking the right questions, if you're concentrating on the subjective, putting in those questions without any embarrassment, just getting used to it. Because all of the guests we've had have said, once you ask them two or three times, you know, mm. any you know any problems during sex, any problems going to the toilet, um, you won't be embarrassed anymore. They're not going to be embarrassed. And, and as a business model, it's huge. Mm. I mean, if you get one or two cases, I mean, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? But you send someone to the GP and it gets diagnosed as cancer. You don't wish it on anyone. But if word goes around that you were the person, you're going to be in the Argus, that's for sure. There'll be a picture with you on the front. It's always going to happen. And so one, you're going to feel better about helping somebody potentially life. Of thing. And two, your business model is just huge. Yeah, you know, because you will get known as the therapist who's doing you know asking high questions. So and uh,
1: and the people... thing is, uh, yeah, the point there to say is because I too had that hesitation. So the couple of ways you can work around one is to explain that is to understand that it's linked up. So I I say like I'm going to ask you a few personal questions, but this is linked up with your uh, hip and groin. So they understand there's a link. You know what's the relationship, and the second um, um, thing is to say like you know uh, that those sort of uh, symptoms is something coexist and might not mean anything sinister so it doesn't mean like it's always cancer or anything it could be a simple hernia but the main idea is we are uh, and they really appreciate that you're looking at a holistic picture not just purely muscles and uh, tendons alone so they feel like oh nobody has asked me the first one of the first questions people always commented is you're the first person asking this you know and then immediately they think okay You know, he he, he or she needs to know what they're talking about because, Mm -hmm. uh, as MSK therapists, we we see the world in just MSK. You know, the body is beyond. There's so many systems there, so it's easy to forget that there is so many other uh, you know other systems and organs and nerves involved in that. So we're just dealing with a small part of the anatomy there. So uh, there are other things which could be uh, you know linked up with those. So uh, it just makes us grounded of the bigger picture
0: definitely it's funny because holistic like 10-15 years ago holistic was had kind of hippie connotations of, oh <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna light some joss sticks and you're kind of you know check someone's chakra but now we're using the term holistic in a sense of you're not just focusing on that adductor you're actually Mm. looking at the whole person doing a subjective properly looking at the body system so it's good therapist you can now use the word holistic again without fear of
1: rebuttal and people taking mic because it's what we should be doing and uh, i think with the the thing which is quite topic which is relevant here is there's a lot of um, interest and uh, awareness about like for example in menopausal treatment you know with the hormonal tr- hrt so i have a, I, this is sort of a couple of patients who came with um, simple uh, gtps patients you know with greater chandroid pain syndrome they're quite severe and then i saw them a couple of uh, weeks ago and they started hrt and the symptoms were so much better um with that hormonal uh you know with the estrogen and testosterone uh just made me think how much is msk pain in that group uh hormonal and how much is it purely a load load issue so clearly we can see those sort of factors are important you know so um getting the right medical support with the hormones weight management you know recovery sleep and then our job becomes much easier isn't it hmm?
0: definitely jenny Bowell. i guess next week she was on the show before and she yeah. spoke at length about understanding how tendinopathies are different in the population of women who are very many of course it's like you have to Reconsider what could be going on if yeah. you know if you ask right questions. Very interesting. So, Mister Treatment Man, how are we going to uh, start talking about treatment for some of these conditions?
1: Yeah. So, the thing is, we need to put them into boxes here before we. Uh, so, rather than just saying groin, so the most common condition which you're going to see in uh, most settings with groin pain will be coming from the hip joint. So, if somebody comes in and says, "Oh, I got this sort of uh, tight hip for like two years." Uh, it could be the early sign. So one of the things which I see a lot of misconceptions is, oh, for for example, I had like a uh, 38-year-old runner, you know, high level. He's having this constant stiffness and he tried a lot of soft tissue work. Uh, He did have improvement, but it's just short term. Um, And every time he did a lot of inclined running, a lot of speed work, he used to limp for two, three days. Um, Then he came came to my clinic and I have some key questions I ask when I suspected posterior arthritis so things like do you have difficulty putting shoes and socks in the morning that's a classical one you know so if you're really struggling a 38 year old man or woman shouldn't really struggle with that isn't it Hmm? whether putting shoes and socks in the morning and then when you sit for long periods when you get up do you limp and if you do a lot of speed sessions how is it the next day so those sort of subtle signs um and then he said he said to him i said to him that we should send you for an exit and he was surprised and he said and the typical answer was, "I'm only twi- I'm only um, 38, and my hip pain can't be because of osteoarthritis." And, and so that's a bit of a misnomer that you only get arthritis uh, when you are like in fifties and sixties and seventies. We know that there is some predisposition, uh, especially if you have some childhood issues, issues, and if you're done, if you're a male, and if you've done a lot of rotational sports when you're young, you're more likely to happen earlier. So common things happen more commonly. So chronic stiffness for a long period uh, and especially getting slowly worse the first thing I'm going to think is um, you know simple osteoarthritis and you don't have to rush for an MRI. you know most GPs will be ready to get an um, you know x-ray and now that doesn't mean that if you have an arthritis that you're going to need and replacement in the next week it just shows that no amount of soft tissue will replace that because when you're losing that mobility around the hip the soft tissue sort of uh, try to overcompensate and they sort of take over the role, so they'll be needing a bit of that hip hip work as well as the soft tissue work so so th- uh, those something is something I see missed is, uh, especially in the thirties and forties they sort of forget that they can get hip osteoarthritis, so it's more more common than than you think because the typical presentation is in your after fifty or sixty. So that's something to think of is that chronic tightness. I'm going to think of osteoarthritis first. Um, if it's more definitely, yeah, if it's yeah, that's really good. That's a really good message for our
0: listeners, mm. because I'm sure a lot of people will not even consider that. Yeah. If if the patient is like 35, yeah. 38 years yeah. old. I was interested in something you said there, looking at case histories. Yeah. Obviously you look for kind of maybe a genetic trait or something mm. in their childhood. Mm. what was you said about if they're a child and there's
1: evidence that they've been doing lots of rotational activity oh yeah yeah. As a so, child. yeah yeah so yeah so, so yeah male elite sport if you look yeah. at the if you look at the data like male top level uh, professional football hockey you know those sort of things, it seems to be they end up with the... so if you look at like for example ex managers football or you know ex-players, and you follow them, mm-hmm. and many of them will have a replacement hip by their forties uh like typical, like Andy Murray, you know, he had a hip reciffing mm-hmm. surgery. So there's something to be there seem to be some link of uh high level of rotational sports in your teenage and uh twenties which sort of predisposes certain people to develop uh it's a risk factor. It doesn't mean like if you've done we're talking about people in very high level elite, you know, we're not talking about somebody like yeah. you know like an average uh blow. So mm-hmm. if somebody has done a very high level uh sports um, they are um, you know statistically they are at a higher risk of developing um, osteoarthritis maybe they had a lot of injuries maybe you know sort of factors. so it's quite pinpoint so but that generally is a, is a factor but the main risk factor of getting early, uh, early osteoarthritis is uh, issues when they're young as uh, if you have childhood hip disease like dysplasia and perthes, because sometimes mm-hmm. it happens so young at four you know like normally perthes happens within four I think between four and eight and people forget that and they come to you in their thirties um, and they have that. So one key question to ask would be something simple, uh, which I usually ask with all my chronic hip and groinies: if they have a family history of early replacement and early replacement is below 60. So if somebody says, you know, somebody like you comes and say, my mother had a hip replacement at 48, um, makes me think, you know, why is that? Why did your mother have hip replacement of 48 that's too early Mm -hmm. then uh, sadly those sitting past genetically so so again asking them anyone close in your family like your parents or sibling had a hip replacement uh, very young age then um, statistically we know that that is could be a risk as well so the the family history does matter we're not talking about everyone in the family parents and siblings you know so you know father and mother and your brothers so those sort of things are really important they say yeah it's sort of Interesting, my sister had replacement like five years ago. My mom had it. Then, you know, pretty much that is also highly likely here, you know. So those sort of things are uh, going. So once you know it's sort of hip thing uh, or the most common thing would be is if somebody comes with, you know, they're playing rotational sports. Anything which involves change of direction, for example, like um, football, tennis, hockey, rugby, by far the most common muscle you're going to see is the adductors you know so generally you don't see that in runners so a bit of a top tip here is a female runner comes with adductor pain you know when you're talking about a medial thigh pain makes me highly worried about a stress fracture so generally a female runners don't get that uh, in, a, in a thigh pain Uh straight line sports you don't i've seen a lot of this being missed and they end up being a stress fracture so a female runner with adductor pain is a stress fracture unless proven otherwise, you know? So, um, yeah. So whereas a male footballer or a male tennis player or a female tennis comes in, that's different. So the sex and the sport are equally important, you know? If you're doing rotational sports, you come with a thigh inner thigh pain, then you know it's more likely adductor. If you're just doing straight line sport, where, yeah. are you, where are you getting inner thigh, you know, what's... And then you can do a simple, like, hopping test, simple hop test and see whether it yeah. causes the pain. If the hop test is positive, then, you know, then you might refer to somebody else to look into investigations because um, that is something you don't want to uh, miss uh, because a lot of patients will say, oh, got tight, rectum, things like that. And the periods you see is usually the spike before a London marathon or before an event. You know, you know the typical history. They've got an event coming up, they have the spike in uh, and then, you know, they get a bit of niggles and they stop running and they come hobbling around. Oh, I've got like, I've got a tight adductors or a hip flexus and they can't even walk, um, and you know that there's something else bony, you know, so anything bony might present as a soft tissue. Uh, again, you know, you need to look at the history. Are they a runner? Are they having a spike in running volume? You know, things like that. You're not yeah. going to jump into a conclusion. And again, you say, is something we want to miss. So you definitely don't want to miss uh, hip osteoarthritis and uh, stress fractures, especially if you're treating a lot of soft tissue work with runners. And we know from the history, the biggest risk for stress fracture is two things, previous stress fractures and being female. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, female have a higher, uh, uh, because of, you know, so many other factors, metabolic or, uh, you know, other factors. But generally, if they had a stress fracture before, even if it was 10 years or 20 years ago, you need to keep a high suspicion of that. All the men do can get it, but, you know, statistically, women are more likely to develop this, especially if they do, long events and they had so somebody for example has done only 5k and they're doing the first half marathon you know they've not Mm -hmm. done a lot of 10ks big jump from that and they're getting groin pain that's something you don't want to uh, miss on that so that's about the anything on that you want to oh just i was just thinking that, that takes us back round again
0: to asking mm. the right questions because yeah. if it's a female athlete with a duct mm. of pain and like you say it's a distance runner then you need to ask about menstruation mm. and diet all those sort of things to see if there's maybe, or a uh... change
1: in suddenly have they become vegan recently maybe yeah. maybe they're not getting because there's a lot of uh you know diets keto vegan are they getting mm-hmm. enough calories and then um, the period you know is generally a strong indicator so if they're not getting regular periods um and also maybe they're not consuming enough calories you know regardless of the diet if they're not consuming enough calories and then uh, uh, they start and also the first thing which drops in is the drop in performance so they see that their timings is dropping they don't enjoy anymore uh, and then uh, you need to have a very low threshold for imaging and then refer on uh, for those sort of things as well so definitely those are the ones not to miss from a hip point of view these are great. I just want to, because you're coming out
0: with so many great bits of information, I want to check. And this isn't just a, me kind of uh, selling your courses, but is this the sort of thing that you find when you do your courses?
1: Yeah. Therapists come to you and they're not aware of these little things. They haven't yeah. learned these tricks. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a, because it's sort of people, there's a few misnomers. Here. People think the early stage, you know, the monstrous injury that, they get night pain, they can't walk. That's too late, really. You know, when, the, uh-huh. when you, because we know it's a <clears throat> stress fracture is a continuum, you know, bone stress injury. The last stage is the fracture. In the early stages, they can still walk, do a little bit of running, but they can't really continue at that level and they sort of limp the next day. So uh-huh. it's a bit too late to pick them once they have a fracture. So ideally, like therapists like us, we should pick it up earlier before they get it because the return to running is much quicker. Let's imagine that you've got a full-blown uh, fracture of the femur sometimes it can be nine months to a year before you get to that level. Whereas you pick them much early, the return to running could be as quick as two months or three months. So it's a big difference in uh, picking up on that. So, um, and again, like um, sometimes the patients also want to believe that it's a soft tissue, that it's sort of, uh, so what I tend to use with these patients now is, I don't hardly ever use the word fracture. I just use the word bone stress injury, just like you got tendon injury, muscle injury, it's a bone injury, bone stress injury. So I said to a patient, like, see, runners are high risk of bone stress injuries. And we know that if you don't pick this up early, it could lead to, uh, you know, a lot of complications. Uh, and they don't get picked up on an X-ray initially. That's a problem. X-rays don't pick this up in the initial stages. So it'll come back as normal. And they definitely need an MRI. And that's another problem I see. So they go to the local GP, they get an X-ray and the X-ray comes back as normal. And they think there's nothing wrong and then they keep running on it and then you get a full fracture. So um, so that's why access to somebody like a sports doctor's or an orthopedic surgeon locally who can get an MRA is crucial because otherwise you're just falsely reassuring them that everything is fine, but actually yeah, the book is winning. Gosh. So getting x-ray is pretty uh, the sensitivity is less than um, 50%, which means you might well as toss a coin and rather than send for an x-ray, you know. So your chance of missing it's very high, especially in the early stages. Um, and what will the runner do when they have the X-ray and the X-ray is normal? They're not going to stop running, are they? <laughs> because they've been yeah, told yeah. no fracture and they keep running on it and then uh, the worst consequences happen. So again, telling them like, you know, early stages of that sort of injuries not picked up on an on an uh, uh, X-ray. And if, especially if you got somebody at a high level, we don't want to miss that. So he's getting an MRI. And again, saying them, there are two things I sort of use with runners. One is, explaining that if you pick up earlier then the return to running will be much quicker so we might only need two three weeks or few weeks rather than at a late stage and the second thing is you know your complications rate is much lower you know um mm-hmm. with those things so i think you sometimes you have to give like a good or a you know a good news and a bad news something you, you put without fear we don't want to create fear there but at the same time there's that fine line without ke- making them understand the seriousness of it as well you know very good so point. Yeah, I'm so on that too. We're point.
0: just gonna make sure Nikki just raised the point in case anyone else is not hearing it correctly. Um yes, it is the adductor muscle. Yeah. Um, it does sound a bit like erector sometimes. <laughs> <if you think laughs> it yeah. is
1: actually the addu- we can, yeah, adductor. Yeah. A- ad, yeah. some call it adductors. A yeah. Adductor. Yeah. So it comes from the you know uh inner thigh. And generally that is the most common injured muscle in um, you know, when you do rotational sports. So if you look at mm-hmm. like you know, professional sports, uh, I would say where i read somewhere if you look statistically the most common muscle injured was hamstring number two i think was uh, adductors and the third was uh calf i think so those three muscles yeah. are the most commonly injured muscles which you see when you do any change of direction and change of uh, yeah, sports yeah, yeah. as well so you're going to see and, and many of those patients will need a, a good soft tissue work and keep the flexibility going uh so when we talk about adductors one of the things is So this is quite a good relevant point here is the location of the pathology and the pain. So some people, it's more within the muscle belly itself. Some people, it's more towards the tendon. So if it's more towards the tendon, you know, anything towards the bone, those patients don't like aggressive stretching because we know the tendons, you know, they're not a big fan of a lot of stretching. So if you're doing a lot of stretches in that group, you might potentially flare them up. Whereas if it's more towards the muscle belly, you can be a little bit more aggressive. So the location of pain also guides us how much we we can be strong. If it's just purely um, a muscle thing, then you can be a bit more aggressive, do a little bit more stronger, and just do a bit more you know passive, uh, active assisted stretches. But if it's more towards the bone, then that gets a bit trickier. So because you can't really stretch it out, attend and, uh, and get it better. So because they need the strengthening. Uh, protocol with the uh, various forms of um uh, exercise we do and then you might do the soft tissue so the location of um, pain is equally important is it more the muscle or is it more the tendon another great point fantastic
0: so yeah so maybe let's i mean um treatment yeah let's go with
1: adductor strain yeah So let's go with that. So when you go into that, so we can put that into sort of different stages. So I think, you know, let's say somebody comes in, they had like an adductor pain for like eight months. They had, it started after they started playing Fireside or you do see that in runners, in one type of uh, runners is trail running, because in trail running, there's a change of direction a little bit, you know? True. Uh, And uh, also you see a lot of, uh, you know, as they get middle-aged sort of master runner, they lose hip mobility, so that's a well-known fact. As we get older, men lose hip mobility more than women for some reason. So that's a true fact: is the hip extension is lost, and when you lose that, the you're less efficient, and there's more strain around the pubic region. So that's one theory why you end up as you get older to get that strain, especially if you do. So I see a lot of male runners in their 50s who do a lot of ultra events and um, you know trail events where they come with the sort of constant so- soreness around that sort of pubic bone, addictive bone. And they, they have quite poor hip mobility because of that sort of uh, uh, normal age-related changes. They don't have osteoarthritis, but it's just a bit stiff. And maybe they don't do enough mobility work or cross-training. You know, they're not doing any swimming or other stuff. So they're just running, you know, typical runners. They just do that all day, you know, five days a week. Is there much you can do to combat that, the effects of yeah? So, in the hip? Yeah, so what we get There's some evidence that eccentric training can help you to lengthen better than stretching. So a simple body weight Bulgarian split squat is a big, you know, mm-hmm. I use it all. So I asked them to do them during the sort of um, day, you know, just do about, you know, two, three sets of uh, body weight Bulgarian split squat rather than stretching it out. And mm-hmm. also uh, the thing with hip extension is it's closely related with the lumbar extension. So it's a coordinated movement there, you know, one doesn't work on that. So if you lack good, lum- you know, l- lumbopelvic control, you might not get that good hip extension. But having said that, you can you can improve what you have with some drills. So you can do some, you know, running drills, trying to encourage that hip extension and cues mm-hmm. when they're running to push off more with yeah. the big toe to get that sort of... Because we want to engage the glute max, get that sort of uh, stride there. So we find that getting... And one of my favorite exercise to get that sort of pattern is to use, glide discs, you know, you know the disc where you can, like yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 a really good exercise for that population or anyone you want to improve hip extension, just go slide it in two, three direction, hip extension, hip abduction, you know, all that, so it's a good, like, rather than just passive stretches, I'm a big fan of dynamic mobility, so you could use um, that sort of uh, pattern to get that sort of, uh, so you could call it more like movement prep before a run, you know, so you could add mm. a little bit of plyometrics, low level, a bit of, hip extension drills and then mm-hmm. you know you're Excellent. going to maximize your um your running uh, uh efficiency as well so definitely uh, we want to encourage as but maybe in the the grand sc- scheme of things uh, it might eventually go on, but at least keep it more efficient as much uh, as you can so getting that sort of um uh, uh, mobility element so initially when you're dealing with this um, as i said is uh, one of the things i do is to avoid excessive change of direction so i'll say not to run on uneven surfaces you know not to do side to side and really focusing on uh, improving the range of motion especially in hip extension, hip extension and abduction and if you do have some myofascial myogenic pain they respond really well with hands on treatment so mm-hmm. you know so you can do your hands on soft tissue assisted stuff or instrument assisted stuff and some people also do really well with dry needling uh, as long as you respect the tendon so i'm not a big fan of poking the tendon but because the tendons don't, they have less blood flow and less oxygen than muscles. They they don't like that overstimulation, but definitely soft tissue work will help. And there is some very low level evidence that using compression shots, you know, like this sort of Under Armour X-shaped, that can give you some symptom relief. So if you if you have somebody who's got uncomfortable groin when they run, uh, I'll ask them to wear that sort of uh, the Under Armour. You know, there are different companies who do that, that sort of cross link. And that anecdotally will, it's not going to fix it, but they're going to feel less pain, which is always a win win situation, isn't it? Hmm? So, again, it's an adjunct. Hmm? So, if you're treating somebody who's got rotational activity
0: as part of their sport, if it's hockey or football or something, Mm. and they've come to you with an adaptive strain, Mm. I mean, their game is going to be based on changing direction quite a lot, isn't it? So, yeah. with a runner, with a lot of the way we can we can change the way they run slightly mm. and they can keep running. But, with, I mean, I'm out of my depth here because I don't really look after sports people mm. or hockey people mm. if, unless I can help it. Yeah. With them, are we more likely to say you've got to stop playing for a no. while? Or I think uh, how the, how only, yeah,
1: the, the only few things when I'll, the only few times where I'll stop them running, you know, playing totally when they have night pain and they're limping quite badly, you know? Okay. So, if they're, if they're limping quite badly and they're really hobbling the next day, then maybe a short course of two to three weeks might be necessary. It depends on if they come very severe. Most of the cases, we don't have to stop because, you know, the complaints is very poor. So one of the things we can say is to reduce explosive speed, you know. So I'll ask them not to, suppose they're a winger, I'll ask them to change position to come a bit more central rather than just bombing in, you know, doing the fast, the fast cutting in is where the problem, a bit of straightening is totally fine. So the fast cutting in and that explosive speed is where, it struggles so maybe they can change that you know reduce the speed uh, and also you know uh, do that and also uh, use the um, uh, compression shots for uh, pain relief and okay. some dynamic mobility deals and some hands-on treatment as well um yeah. and then we'll definitely have to include um uh, some rehabilitation exercise so the way i look at the rehab around the region is to quite keep it quite simple this way i usually teach on the courses is look at those three key muscle groups around that region so well, a very simplistic way of looking at it is, you got a very powerful uh, hip adductors. Is uh, as a group, they are more powerful than even the mighty glute max. So it's quite a very powerful muscle, the you know adductor muscle as a group. Then you got your um, hip flexors, you know, key for power generation, sprinting. And then to contract it, you also have the lower abdomen, you know, the muscles which attach to the pubis. So these are the three main groups which should be in sync. Um, so if you look at this sort of uh, historically, just giving a bit of uh, you know um, yeah, from the you know English Premier League, most this is a sort of well-known fact is before Arsene Wenger came and you know you know when he joined Arsenal, there was a lot of high incidence of um, you know uh, this sort of sports hernia, yeah, lower abdominal you know tears and other things. So he he introduced a lot of lower abdominal strengthening, you know the traditional core core stability, but it's focusing on. Uh, the lower abdomen because usually footballers tend to have very strong adductors because they're Mm -hmm. kicking all the time but you need this you need to contract that with good hip flexors and also lower abdomen so if you if you have that sort of imbalance then you're going to lead to more muscle injuries and strains you know so we found once you know he introduced that philosophy other clubs picked up and it's quite one of you know the it had a massive drop in those sort of uh, pathologies because he was addressing the balance between because he came you know he was quite novel at this time he was coming with a lot of scientific facts there which is mm. breaking the traditional football model of just going hard all the time you know so he was trying to look at recovery the muscle balance so that is sort of well accepted now is to really look at the balance between those sort of three key muscles so what you might do is you might start with some early adductor exercise you know some of those exercise which sort of uh you can sort of, uh, you know, gimbal squeeze. So a simple, um, you know, uh, a key sort of, if you just want to get the whole concept, uh, an easy way of getting that is um, something called the Holmic protocol. Um, Holmick. he was the first guy who published in 1990. So if you just Google the Holmic protocol for adductors, you'll get pretty much all the exercises for adductors. That's what I use. That's one of the first trial. Those exercises are still useful. You know, that's open access uh, just, i think we've got it i think Dora mentioned it last week
0: yeah and we have she gave me a link to it and we've got like about 26 page pdf
1: which yeah. is in the show notes for last week yeah so, so yeah. that sort of is your starting point uh mm. to build that up so because that's well proven there and then uh you also want to start some early lower abdominal exercise so some of the dead bug exercise something with the gym ball some of mm. the simple plank options so you really want to get those activation uh around that region and also making sure that able to engage those sort of uh, muscles around the pubic bone and then once you uh progress them then you can definitely add you know then the glide discs you know then you can add some therabands then you can look at some slings uh in the gym build up that sort of strength there and uh, also not to forget about hip flexor so initially hip flexor is like some people think you need to stretch stretch all the time but initially you don't want to do strengthening because it just irritates the hip but at a later stage you can start with you know some low level hip flexor strengthening exercises uh you could st- start with some bands cables and then get that sort of uh, when you look at that explosive power it comes mainly from that hip flexors and adductors when you sprint when you change direction those two muscle groups are really important and then um and then at like with any lower limb rehabilitation at one stage you'll have to include some plyometrics you know so you'll have to do some plyometric drills then you have to uh, look into Sports specific um, you know, sort of uh, change of direction drills. So for me, uh, for example... That button, that that tends to be, the end
0: rehab tends to be the bit which an athlete doesn't do. Yeah. And then they're back in clinic again with the same injury. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So one thing, uh, an easy tip I sort of use with this runner is say, most runners, um, when I get them back running, I use a graded return to running, like uh, some form of couch to 5K, something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm treating an adductor on a a groin injury, what I will insist there is just like we use runners, I use um, a free program, uh, easily accessible program called FIFA 11 plus. So FIFA Mm -hmm. 11 plus is a free program which has been shown to reduce the incidence of groin injuries and even knee injuries. So I ask them to do that on their own with the football or in the pitch for at least two weeks before they start with their mates. So that's a very important point to remember is you must have sports-specific training and there's nothing more evidence-based than FIFA 11+. So if you just Google FIFA 11+, you'll get a PDF sheet with all the. This is for the
0: shuttle runs and kind of figure eights and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, great. So it's something which uh,
1: is very specific for uh, uh, outdoor uh, change of direction sports. Even if you are a rugby player or a hockey player, you're going to still get benefit from 11+, because Mm -hmm. you're training a movement pattern there and also that sort of, Change of direction, which is very hard to do that in a gym, you know, like mm-hmm. you can, you know, you're not going to get that by doing deadlifts and squats and things like that or hip flexes. So you need to reprise. So my, my general rule is um, do the FIFA 11 plus for two, three weeks. Once you sort of uh, get confident with that, then go and do training. Don't do the match just go and train with your mates at a low level. Just have a, because a lot of times it's a psychology class where they need to get the confidence, you know. So awesome. next next step is to go and play, do a bit of training, but don't go to the match. And then once you've done uh, for, you know, one or two weeks, then the final step would be, is supp- let's give a football. That's an easy example to do. So a football match, as we know, is 90 minutes. So when you go back, you've done the FIFA 11 plus for a couple of weeks. You've done, you know, training with your mates, um, not a match. And then when you go um, sort of uh, to the match, don't play 90 minutes, please. Just stick with 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Then add 10 or 20 minutes each week, you know? You build up. So it's just like graded load exposure, but specific. You know, we do it for all injuries, isn't it? You know, would you put them in for the first forty-five minutes, or let them play the second half? Yeah, think? I generally go for the second half because the other hmm. people are tired and they can't continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Others are tired; are less likely to fail. So you could start with forty-five minutes, then increase by twenty percent. So it's being yeah. sensible in that sort of uh, progression. So what we don't want is you've done the rehab and say, "Oh, you can play football tomorrow." You know that is disaster. You know you you're not ready for that sports big. So I think what we see is that end stage transition to sports-specific rehab is really important. Mm
0: -hmm. You
1: know, you don't want to really make them, because however good therapist you are, you can't reproduce that sports-specific demands in a gym or in a cubicle or uh, any fancy physio place. You can't reproduce it. You know, those specific stuff has to be done in that sort of environment, which is, um, you know, which is uh, very unique to that sport as well, you know. So we can definitely, even I've used... Give an example. Like I've used even the FIFA 11 Plus in a you know 65 year old uh, doubles uh, tennis player who plays recreationally. So yeah. uh, you, it doesn't have to be just football, you know, because you're you're doing it that moment specific drills there. And once you've done that, then you can definitely. And another thing, a key tip would be here is we know the biggest injury risk is previous injury. So a common mistake we see in patients is. They've done the rehab. Everything is going hunky-dory, and they're going back playing football or tennis, and everything is nice. They stop doing the strength exercise straight away, and we know that you know when we have a drop in your adductors, uh, you know things like that. That's a pre that's a risk factor for getting another injury. So, uh, a key point we want to emphasize in this patient is you def- we definitely want you to continue the strength not every day but at least twice a week for t- next three months because you're slightly high risk and vulnerable of getting the same injury again. And we don't want that to happen. You've spent a lot of time on the rehab. Why don't we just continue some key exercise for the next three months, just twice a week, you know, some of the adductor, you know, some of the modified Copenhagen, some hip flexor drills, some lower abdomen, just simple four, five exercise as a maintenance for the next three months. And that will prevent it from happening again. And that's a common mistake I see from patients. They stop everything. And just go back to the sports, you know? So do, do you see that with the runners? I see that runners all the time, you know? I think it's, I think it's where therapists need to have a good relationship
0: with coaches, mm. and actually, and get used to being employed, not just to run down the pitch with a sponge, but also mm. to get involved in the rehab. And mm. like you say, when somebody is playing, the other one could be doing the fee for 11 plus on the side or something, and you're watching them and checking, get a few of them to do it. Because a lot of these kind of protocols for rehab, we don't know whether it will prevent injury, but it's a pretty good, reason just to do it in case you know we can't promise it's going to prevent it but it's going to be a good form of
1: training for all of them isn't it yeah so and i think it's this is something and see the uh, you know for me from a sports point of view you know i know a bit of running i know a little bit of cricket it's impossible for us to know all sports you know as a therapist you know? so um but again you could use a generic program like fifa 11 plus for any rotation and if you go google yeah. there's australians And the Kiwis have done a lot of work on netball. So there's some netball-specific warm-up. So if you Google, like, you know, injury prevention warm-up programs, there's a lot of uh, different programs for different sports. And then you sort of collate them and you can uh, give it to the patients. And there's all a lot of work done by clever, you know, academic uh, researchers. But one of my biggest passion is to translate research into the clinical world, you know. Because there's no point somebody doing a PhD and somebody sitting there. We need that work to help people, isn't it? So that's why uh, we need to help in that sort of uh, program and how to make it uh, interesting. Because lack of pain doesn't mean like you're totally cured. We know that these sort of injuries have a high recurrence, you know. So I yeah, see that yeah. they, they pull the directors they don't rehab enough. And then in three months, they come with the hamstring injuries and things like that. Because the rehab is sort of, uh, they feel, I'm fine. I don't have pain. I can run 30 minutes. Um, I don't need to continue with that sort of uh Uh, long-standing things and I think that's just another uh, you know one of the important elements to gain complaints I find is to give them some markers strength markers for example like Mm -hmm. uh, simple things you could use is a single leg press 1.25 times your body weight you know so you can do Mm -hmm. that Uh, or simple uh, things like I use a handle dynamometer so I look at the ratio between the abductors and adductors so the normal Mm -hmm. ratio is one is to one so with whatever tools you have uh, so what was that ratio again? One For a normal population, like non-run non-football, it's between one is to one. The uh, adductors and the abductors should be the same strength uh, okay. on that. But if you're doing like football, hockey and rotational sports, it's generally better to be 20 to 30% better. So it'll be 1.3 is to one. So if you're okay. playing football... In favor of the adductors. Yes, yes. Yeah, but yeah. for a runner, okay. it's not at all necessary. If you're a runner, you don't need that sort of uh, uh, higher adductors because deductors gives you that sort of change of direction benefits, mm. which a runner uh, doesn't need that. So for a runner, I generally go for one is to one. But if it's more the um, the rotational population, I'll go from 1.2 to 1.3. So things are getting more cheaper. Like, you know, you know, five years ago, it used to cost like 1,000, 1,500. Now we've got some good companies where you can get the good handle dynamometer as a clinic for 300 pounds, 350 pounds. Mm. So as a clinic, I think it's a good investment. And uh, you can give them some good... Um, objective markers and say like this is the strength markers this is what you need to achieve in the gym uh and people like the challenge isn't it you know rather than just going to the gym randomly and just doing a circuit they'll say i'm working on something here yeah it gives
0: them a goal i mm-hmm. wanted to check with you it's already 854 you've given us so much already it's incredible this is definitely want to listen back to we mentioned last week or um i mentioned last week the a lot of the time it's the adductor longest because of its position and the mechanics of it and the load it has to tolerate mm-hmm. when it comes to rehab is there any twists you do to exercise in order to engage the adductor longest more than
1: the others or
0: yeah i think oh, so yeah
1: so this the thing is i i'm you know the statistically you know the adductor longest is the most common i think from what i remember it's 70 percent of the Injuries happen in the erectal longus is by far the most common because it's also involved in flexion. So mm-hmm. it's it sort of you can attack it in different ways. So I tend to work in different groups. So for example, you can do like um, you know, squeeze in a bridge position where you're involving the magnus, you can mm-hmm. do it in, you can change the so the recruitment of the muscle will depend on the position of the hip. You know, if you bring it more towards the flexion, more towards extension. But I would not, you know, be brave enough to say that I'm isolating one group, you know, just mm-hmm. one muscle, because I think. It, uh, even, I think it's quite hard to do that because they work together in synchrony. And you have to remember, like, for example, like um, if you're doing a squeeze in a long liver, you're going to involve your lower abdomen more than when you're doing a crook line. So even the lower abdomen will get changed based on the position because the, you know, to be efficient, you need to involve the um, adductors. So one of my favorite exercises would be is, you know, in a crook line position, uh, have a small, like a Pilates ball squeeze and then come in a half crunch. So squeeze first, engage the adductors and then get the lower abdomen involved, you know? So that you really go into the natural pattern of uh, involving it because that's how it works, you know? So mm-hmm. they go together, they really stabilize the pubis. Um, yeah. And again, when, you are, um, when you're doing the glide discs, so it's just not mobility. When they bring the glide disc back, I'll ask them to push the ball of the big toe and to engage and to drag it back. It's not slide, it's yeah. dragging. So you, yeah. this, this are subtle cues you can give when you give the rehab to gain that engagement, you know, rather than just uh, just doing like a fun sort of a mobility drill. So push on the ball of the big toe, just drag it in as if you're scraping the surface and you're going to get better engagement rather than just yeah. passively on that. So those are the things. So I would say if you're doing adductors, uh, please don't do that in isolation. Always engage the lower abdomen, which will, is a better way of doing it because that's a natural way of, stabilizing the pelvis what we don't want is a ridiculously strong adductors without nothing to oppose it you know so we yes. need we need a strong um it's like for example give a perfect example would be knee for example acl we need the balance between the hamstring and the cords mm-hmm. so if the cords is ridiculously strong but the hamstring is weak we know that is a risk factor especially in females you know so mm-hmm. the same thing is we want good symmetry between that sort of those three ma- major groups so uh, uh and the body you know works Together rather than just like uh, in isolation, so um, you know isolating one muscle uh, might you, you know might be something you do initially, but at a later stage you're looking at the synchrony between these three groups.
0: Brilliant and other question I wanted to ask you was during rehab where do you sit in terms of what pain should be expected or should it be totally pain-free or how do you Yeah so yeah so I
1: think is if you expect to be totally pain-free it will take three years (laughs) before it is decide. decide. So I think see that's a subtle there's some There is some you know clear um, guidelines we need to work with Is the feeling of discomfort around the groin is not a natural thing so First, we need to sort of uh, desensitize and make it normal that that bit of tightness is normal, especially if mm-hmm. you're doing a lot of sports, uh, especially, you know, you're doing a lot of you, f- you feel that. So generally, just same like with any tendon, I sort of use that sort of uh, classical between zero to four, you know, zero to three or four, like mild to moderate. But the most important thing is for me is the next day. So, yeah. uh, So even if it's five out of ten, but next day morning you're not limping, I'm not too, you know, I'm not too worried. Because uh, so for me, the main thing is how do you feel the next day? Do you feel any? So what typically is if they overdone it, there are a few things they will say. They'll say, when I get up, I'm hobbling a little bit, you know, I'm limping a bit. And then it's very sore around my pubic bone. Those -hmm. sort of things. I don't like that because that means you've just done too much on that, you know. So I give more importance to the 24 hour response than actually to the level of pain. I said to them, nothing too sharp. So again, uh, quality of pain, you know nothing too sharp, nothing pinchy and stabby mm-hmm. because that sort of tells me that possibly you're irritating the hip joint, you know. But a bit of an ache, uh, totally fine. If you ask most people who do a lot of these rotational sports, they're going to feel that tight, you know, that's a common thing, you know, just like you feel on upstairs. So the, mo- the problem is when it becomes sharp and then uh, also when it starts affecting their performance, you know, they are finding it difficult with sprinting. And also, uh, so if you look at most of the professional clubs, they will monitor they'll monitor the adductor strength. I think, I don't know whether they do it every week or every day. So we know those drop in strength is an indicator of an injury happening, so, you know, in a few days or few weeks. So okay. if we can monitor the strength regularly in professional sports, and if you have a drop, that is the best indicator. Uh, it's like sometimes when you get a cold uh, in two days, you get something a bit of a niffly, uh nose a few days before, mm-hmm. and you know you're going to get a cold. The same thing. When you have a drop in strength, you know something is coming. So, so that's interesting so
0: that's something you could do when people come to you for
1: maintenance massages and yeah. just to check in and you could, that's one of the tests you could just do you know, yeah so you take that yeah. you could say like you're dropping strength uh so yeah, you need to get back on your thing so again you can monitor those sort of uh i but a bit of pain is totally fine nothing sharp pinchy and you're not hobbling the next day um and then you know you you know uh, th- those sort of things are really more important um than sort of thing another thing is what an element of rehab is, you know, you mentioned about the end of stage. One thing which which sort of I always insist before you go in rotational sport is you must be able to do 5K, you know, before you go to any sport. Because for me, if, you, if you're if you not good in straight line, if you can't run 30, 35 minutes, you'll always be a liability in any any sort of uh, uh, sports. For me, that is a baseline fitness, you know, you need to get back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of these people, it's the opposite, you know, like, like runners hate the gym. A lot of people who play rotational sports, they hate running. Even because okay. they don't want to run because they said oh it's boring you know running is so boring i can't do that but i say to them you need to get that cardiovascular fitness there's no better exercise than conditioning than running you know your whole lower limb your cardiovascular fitness so yeah, i insist yeah. i insist they should ideally they should do the 5k sort of uh you know if really good like sub 25 or some you know like a good run there build that sort of uh level and that's not commonly encouraged is to get back running straight line you know so get the straight line running first before you do fancy side to side stuff you know if you're not good if you're not good in a straight line you're never going to be good on side to side you know so running is still a fundamental uh, requirement um so m- m- it's like um you know you know i watch my son you know he's 10 you know they do the football and they make them do a lot of running around and I, my son hates that and say i just want to play football but it's, i explain to him like you have to get the running right you know the engine has to be strong your yeah, leg yeah. muscles your your calf complex and sometimes uh, you know, uh, that in that group I find very hard to encourage straight line running. Uh it's do you weird, find that? isn't it?
0: Mm.
1: Well, um I'm I,
0: I am, I'm someone who doesn't like chasing a ball, but I'll gladly run <laughs> yeah. for ages. So yeah. and and some people love chasing a ball and they don't just like running into nothing. So yeah. running is I would ironically, say, yeah. mm.
1: I would say running is a fundamental skill in all lower limb rehab. Whether whether you're a runner or not, in my opinion, you should you should be able to do at least a good 5k in decent time before mm. you do, uh, before you do, people will say, when can I play tennis? I'll say, can you do a 5k? If not, let's talk about it later, you know, mm. <laughs> you know let's do the 5k first before you do the tennis, because getting that sort of uh, cardiovascular fitness is so crucial. Uh, and I, I an opinion, you know, most people can be trained to do a 5k, you know, sort of, even if you're 60, 70, mm. uh, it's a doable number for most people. Uh, n- not everybody is, you know, wants to do a marathon, but, most people can be trained for um, for a 5K at least, isn't it? Before you do summer rotation. And I think that's a fine. Is There's two things. is The re-injury rate happens of two things. One is lack of the sport specific uh, transition, like the FIFA 11+. And mm-hmm. the second is the lack of conditioning. People mm-hmm. use the word strength and conditioning. They do a lot of strength work, but there's no conditioning. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the drills, a lot of the running stuff, a lot of the speed drills. That is so important uh, because just doing traditional strength work in the gym Without the conditioning, you're not going to get that sort of sports specific element as well.
0: Brilliant, right? Wow, <laughs> there's so much there. I wish I could just sit back and listen to you another half an hour, but it is 9.03. and yeah. I'm sure you've got things yeah. to do. Yeah. But I'm really, I really want you to give our listeners an indication as to what courses you've got coming up, and give you some time for that. Yeah. You... Maybe, yeah, I'll just show my book. Maybe. I'll just... Oh yeah, yeah, just to give people an idea. There's so much there which okay. would um, help people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so this is sort of. Uh, I'm one of the chief editors. So I wrote a couple of chapters on this. So this is sort mm-hmm. of av- available on Amazon, the hip and knee pain disorders. So sort yeah. of is available. So it gives you, especially if you want to look at the rehab for all the key muscle group, you know, proximal hamstring, uh, adductors, the GTPS, you know, the soft tissue. Um, mm-hmm. And also there's a good uh, chapter uh, on, not by, by, by good manual therapist on the soft tissue techniques, manual techniques for the hip. Um, you know belt uh, you know Thomas Mitchell is a mulligan teacher he's done a fantastic chapter on that sort of thing so there's a lot of element on the hands-on treatment you know one of the uh, things which we want is this sort of debate in physio world about the hands-on have soft so we wanted something which is a like a practical what I do in the clinic you know I only wrote mm-hmm. what I do because I do a lot of hands-on with I do a lot of manual techniques on my hips especially if they had like surgery and other things so we want a real manifestation of what I do obviously the rehab is important. But, Mm. you know, you need to focus. So we address the soft tissue element. We address the manual therapy and also a big emphasis on uh, the rehab and that phase. So I think it's sort of a good. And the other thing is you don't have to read all in one go. So suppose, let's say you got a patient with proximal hamstring tendon. You can just look that, uh, just read that or a patient with hip dysplasia. You can just read that and then we'll make boom. sure a
0: link to that goes into uh yeah goes into the show notes
1: yeah so that sort of uh you know is um is something where you know uh you can and then on twitter you can see i'm doing a course i think it's sold uh i think next week i'm doing in withington so best place is if you follow me on instagram and uh, i can give you the links and twitter linkedin so you can see all my courses so i do coins regularly so um if you miss Fantastic. the one if you miss the london one you can come and join me in dubai uh, or ah, in <laughs> so, uh, in, uh, or Iceland. so on twitter you function to fitness with yeah. one s because yeah. it's yeah. not long enough for and, yeah and the instagram you know for, uh, double it's s it's going to be the whole lot yeah yeah so you can uh, do that and then you can uh so i think the hip and groin is doesn't have to be uh hard and i think it's just like a key point before i forget is if you have somebody with a chronic groin pain it just rather than worrying about all this fancy stuff first, making sure that it's not m s it's not m s k you know it's a women uh, i went through the question making sure that we are not missing uh, that sort of uh, red flags you know non m s yeah. k non ms uh, there's a lot of emphasis on m s k red flags but the non m s k red flags are equally important you know yes, the, ca- the cancer the the other sort of gynecological conditions and things like that and you you know having uh women's for me i think is in lower limb, I think a very important person I work with is women's health physio because, mm-hmm. you know, for them, they are so important for me in that sort of uh, getting the pelvic floor element, especially in 80 to 90% of um, hip and groin patients I see are females. You know, I see a lot of GTPS, uh, GTP, you know, a lot of things. Whereas if you work in professional sports, most of hip and groin is men. It's quite opposite in uh, private practice. The majority of patients I see is actually women. Uh, most of hip uh, pathology is women. So, and when you're dealing with women with hip and groin pain, getting that pelvic floor uh, really addressed and looked mm-hmm. at uh, without that, you're not going to get the full outcome really, especially if they're postpartum you know, a classical group would be is let me give you a couple of simple cases I, uh, I would share is a lot of, you know, women start running postpartal because it's a great exercise, but then the pelvic floor element has not been addressed and they get hip pain. So those patients should be addressed by managed by two people. I manage the hip side, and somebody else manages the um, the you know women self address that. So That's working close, one, yeah. yeah, working close because for a lot of women, running is the easiest option, especially postpartal, isn't it? They you know they don't have time mm. to they just get but but they don't have that you know uh, they will not address the whole thing together. So uh, and then look at simple conditions like uh, hipoid. So don't assume just because you're 38 or 41, you don't have arthritis. Simple questions like you know putting shoes and socks in the morning family history of early arthritis, limping. um, And, you know, and again, if you have mild arthritis, you can still keep that going for a long time. Doesn't mean that you need a replacement next week, you know? So again, a lot of education that arthritis doesn't mean uh, natural, but you do find an opposite happenings uh, where people have been told that you are too young for a replacement. So the youngest patient I've sent for a total hip replacement is 23 year old female. Actually, she was a physio student she had mm. she had quite severe dysplasia which was missed mm. when she was young and she was her quality of life was really poor she could hardly walk for more than 10 minutes limping and she's been told by so many people like i think she was some from i think she was from norwich or somewhere like you know like they didn't have big uh um like big centers and she was been told by the local physios and the local orthopedic department that she's too young to have a replacement and she attended one of my courses, and uh, she came to me after the course and she was in tears because she, she thought she has to live like this for the next 20 years. Yeah, and so then, sad. So, so I said to her is, you know, this is, um, you know, your life, quality of life. I looked at the x-ray was quite severe, but also the symptoms was really severe. So I said to her, ask your GP to refer you to UCL. So, you know, because I know a few of the surgeons at the time. So she was referred and within two months, she had a total replacement. And I saw her a few months back and she was running. Uh, In fact, she came came to me for a gait analysis uh, for running after a thing and she was doing horse riding and all that. So for that person, the right information, you know, sometimes telling them that you're not too young for a replacement. It was a game, you know, people have this misconception on that. So you could really make a massive difference there.
0: We had uh, Holly Holly doyle on
1: yeah.
0: um, hip dysplasia, physio and she she yeah, she told of painted a very sad picture as well through her own case and the case of many women who is undiagnosed for ages. You know, yeah. you keep seeing the same thing happen again and the same Yeah,
1: yeah the same thing anyway. You're, you're too young, you're too old. Uh, yeah. but but the thing is uh, again, the thing is in London, uh, which is a bit unfair on the whole country, is we spoil for the, all the top centres, you know. So you have UCL stand more. You've got guys, you know, so whereas you've got pockets in the country where there's a sort of dry line, there's hardly any sort of young hips there. So there's a bit of a mismatch between the country. So uh, so sometimes people get lost in these pockets where they sort of suffer for years or even decades. And that's why mm-hmm. forums like Twitter. So I get every week, I'll get two, three uh, emails from, um, uh, from physio colleagues and say, can you please check this uh, x-ray or the report is been told you have a normal. Another big problem is they've been told there's nothing wrong, you know, usually in dysplasia. Mm-hmm. And then you tell there's obvious dysplasia and then say, I guide them accordingly, you know. So sometimes it's having the network to have that second opinion. And a lot can be done nowadays with uh, online. So mm-hmm. building up. So I think I rely heavily on my support system with, you know, sports doctors, pelvic physios, orthopedic hip surgeons. So if, if you, the hip and groin, it's impossible on your own, really. That's something I learned quite early that you must have your support system for you to get. uh, I I sometimes I call up and say, I'm stuck here. Can you please check? And there's nothing wrong in that. You know, I I send at least two patients a month where I feel I really don't know what's happening. Um, And, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with that, you know. So I send to a few people I trust and say, I think I'm missing something here. Uh, Can I have an opinion? And vice versa, you know, sometimes I get some top hip surgeons book with me and say, he's going to have surgery, but I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything. So they they value my opinion because, you know, uh, we are all here to help a patient regardless of whichever position we are, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, I bring some strength whereas a surgeon brings some strength. So whereas a, you know, soft tissue therapist, they will know more on those elements. So it's working together as a team where we can make a big difference. Definitely. A fantastic message to end on.
0: Right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Benoy. Um, Talking of pelvic health and everything to do with it, we have got Jenny Bowell on next week she's going to be focusing on diastasis rape tie but um, i'm sure she'll be dipping into some of the things you've talked about as well with regards to tendons and menopause and the other things she specializes in and that will mark the end of a what has been a fantastic month um thank you everyone who joined us in the live lounge um penny here has just said super great month overall matt all speakers have been super informative looking forward to next week too thank you again thanks um, Matt, for uh, having me and uh
1: Oh, absolute pleasure
0: no thank you for saying yes um gary benson said it's been really interesting reinforcing some content really useful rules of thumb and observations definitely going to re-listen thanks Benoit, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us definitely it's been a packed hour thank you Benoit. if you can just hang around for a second i'm going to shut down the live lounge and then i'll say thank you to you very quickly in a second so thanks people for joining us um if you listen to the podcast and do please please do us a favor and just quickly give a rating um, and a review. If you're on an iPhone, then it takes a second. You literally just got to put five stars and say, thanks very so much. It was great. It just helps the word of our speakers get out there more. We're talking about this misinformation and, and, and misdiagnosis and lack of diagnosis. One great way we should be getting this message out there is through social media and things like this. So do please, don't just listen to this and keep it yourself. Share it with some colleagues. Leave a rating so it appears high in Google so we can get the great word of people like Benoit Matthew out there more than it currently is. Um, If you do want to join us, um, then, like I say, it will be Tuesday next week on May the 30th with Jenny Burrell. Just come along to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel and that'll be it. Until then, thanks very much and uh, take care of each other. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.